Welcome to Taiwan War 6, The Imprisoned and the Devil, which sounds like a pretty good movie, actually. <laughs> it's our episode title. It sounds like a great movie to be made sometime later. Uh, but anyway, this is possibly the easiest Taiwan War we've ever done, and uh, tonight's uh, double bill is cut out of the creepy, crawler, black magic, and women in prison genre. But uh, despite the very rich genre if you will there's not a whole lot to say in terms of these movies and the background of the people involved but as i always say the proof is also in the taiwanese cinema here and uh, they are from this uh, early era early 80s era where social realism and genre filmmaking was at a high so it's uh, it has plenty of energy and it's worth looking at because of that and my name is kennedy and uh, with me again is my Canadian brother in Taiwanese arms, <laughs> John Charles. That's that's what it says on my title. You got it right. Yes. How you doing? How you doing, Ken? Good, good, good. How are you, sir? I am fine. Excellent. And what what a double bill it was uh, this time out, man. Yeah, and um, you know what? We we could have called it Commander Fury and the Devil, and that would have been a pretty good movie to be made later as well. Um, because I, I like titles that don't make sense, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, Commander Fury makes no sense. Being imprisoned. Makes more sense, but uh, yeah. we, we, we we got a pretty hefty title discussion and uh, coming up, and uh, we got to be really, really, like, do it methodically and uh, do it carefully so everybody picks up on the fact that this movie, the first one, has about six, seven, or maybe eight titles. And I don't know, <laughs> up until this point, uh, you know, it's just mad uh, the way... Um, the way distribution sometimes goes, it just spirals out of control. Well, don't worry. We do this all the time at Video Watchdog, so I'll, <laughs> I'll help you out. Right, right on. Okay, some brief contact information before we go on. This is Taiwan Noir at the Podcast on Fire Network. Website for this and all the other shows, podcastonfire.com. Email for feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We produce extra content every now and again. That is located in the bonus episode section of the website. If you actually registered on the forum way back in the day, there is actually a pretty hefty archive of exclusive content in the members-only section on the forum, podcastonfire.com forward slash forum. But I am planning to do something with the um, stored extra content. It is literally hours of it because no one uses the forum anymore. So I'm still formulating ideas of how to bring past bonus content to the website so to say in some kind of coherent uh, manner so uh, check that out uh, if you have the time if you want to elongate your podcast on fire network experience a uh, discussion that was in the forum is now on facebook uh, we have a page facebook.com forward slash puf network and you can also join our discussion by f in, the, in the discussion group by following the link on the uh, page i just said or just type in podcast on fire network in the facebook search box and you will get to us and follow us on twitter as well twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire i've reviewed both movies we're covering tonight on sogoodreviews.com in a written form and i think i did video reviews of both yes i did that was after the creation of sleazyk video.com so you can check out little bite-sized video reviews of 
set movies on those sites and follow me on twitter as well twitter.com forward slash so good reviews we are on itunes nowadays almost all of the shows have their own feed including taiwan noir so if you want to subscribe to this podcast go to itunes look up taiwan noir or look up podcast on fire network and all the all the available feeds will be there for you so you can subscribe to us and if you like the show we would very much appreciate a comment or a rating uh, that would pretty much uh, help some help us get some exposure if you will so we would appreciate that you can also stream us via stitcher stitcher.com you can go to our show page on stitcher which is uh, linked to in the show post but uh, i would also recommend downloading the application for your iphone or ipad or android a free application and you can enjoy the podcast on fire network on stitcher that way once you're in stitcher type in podcast on fire network and that will give you an opportunity to add each individual show uh, and uh, it's it's all good it's very uh, i personally don't like subscribing to podcasts via itunes and downloading them to fill my to fill, uh, fill my phone that way i'd rather have music on my phone so stitcher is uh, good for me personally and, and i don't get paid saying that just <laughs> stating my opinion <laughs> Uh, and finally, uh, we always recommend the blog Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, and it's uh, filled with stuff I haven't even, I've only like caught like 10% of the content on there, and I really enjoy Hastur's work on IFD and Filmark, and in particular, uh, locating source movies from, the, the source movies in Taiwan, from Taiwan rather, that IFD and Filmark used for their various cut and paste productions so it's uh, really cool to find out uh, so, some background on that because no one else is looking up such background so we're we've been helped in terms of creating our past ep- episodes via that research that Jesus has uh, put together so if you go to the show post there is a link to all the posts that cover the Taiwan black movies as um, as he calls them and uh, that's a good tag tag for this era as we talked about the 70s and 80s era of taiwanese genre cinema and social realism yeah jesus actually put up something really great i mean a couple episodes back we did fury and red the uh taiwanese knockoff of Ms. 45 mm-hmm. and he posted a spanish video cover for that version and the artist completely copied the american poster for Ms. 45 <laughs> <laughs> he saw what the movie was and he said okay the hell with it we're going to use the american poster because so it was not a redrawn version it was that poster um, it's it's the girl with her dress billowing up, um, and she's facing an attacker. It's not exactly the same, but it's mm. the obvious inspiration. It's got the seam stockings, the black stockings. Yeah. It's 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 perfect. <laughs> I mean, so, I've seen variations of it uh, for that movie on both the Hong Kong VCD and the Japanese VHS, but it was not 100%. It was maybe 70 or 80% that way. It didn't have an, an attacker, you know, between uh, you know. At, uh, in the background, if you will. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah, this wasn't quite as polished as the American poster, but it was uh, it was a nice companion piece. Let me put it that way. Right on. Yeah, Spain was a good um, was a market that um, liked these movies up to, uh, up to a point, I guess, before they caught on to the fact that hey, this is familiar. Have you sold us <laughs> these movies before? I've seen this footage of Richard Harrison before. <laughs> uh, I've seen the Garfield phone a few. <laughs> no, you haven't. It's new. Yeah, I thought, uh, it was, I thought it was Greece that put out every one of these movies, but it looks like Spain was a close second. Greece, Spain, Japan, and um, yeah, Germany to an extent. Um, yeah. Even Germany got some widescreen sources of this stuff. I, uh, my friend Spanik dubbed the um, German VHS of Inferno Thunderbolt, which is 185 uh, widescreen. Uh, we dubbed that with English. So. So got a bit of a more watchable version of that. Okay. Uh, but anyway, on to your plugs. 
Uh, my blog is by John Charles. You can find it on Blogspot. I'm on Twitter, JC Guelph, J-C-G-U-E-L-P-H. Uh, my old site is Hong Kong Digital, and I'm in Video Watchdog. We're just wrapping up issue number 171. Right on. And I'm an occasional guest on the Demolition Men podcast, uh, which is sort of on hiatus because Toller's a dad. And we recorded a podcast recently. We got a half hour in. His baby started crying, and we lost Aww. him for over an hour. <laughs> so I'm not sure what uh, the status of the show is. I think we're still in business, but we, I don't think we'll be doing it weekly for a while anyway. Yeah, Life Goes First, Dopey Podcasts, uh, definitely second. not on a list at all. Not no. even a second. That's what I would say. Uh, anyway, we are moving on to our first movie of this episode, and it is the movie called The Imprisoned from 1982. And maybe a few weeks ago, this was this episode didn't even have a mention of the title The Imprisoned. It would probably I would have probably gone with Commander Fury, but finally, as I will explain, this movie has its original title confirmed. It took a while, and not confirmed by me though, I should say, uh, rather by staff at the Hong Kong Movie Database. But uh, we'll explain that plot, first of all, from my review of the film. Set in a pris- prison-slash-labor camp, presumably during World War II. It's an operation keeping women hostages, uh, women that are related to or affiliated with wealthy families that willingly pay the huge ransom required for release. A group of women are planning their escape, though, and a microfilm exposing the camp is on the minds of the chiefs of the prison. Sounds very familiar, but uh, it's a nice little template to use for for genre filmmaking. It's directed by Chester Wang Chung Kwang, of Queen Bee and Queen Bee's Revenge fame. I gotta stop there. I think there are Japanese movies called Queen Bee as well, early in the 70s. And I wonder if these early 80s Taiwanese movies were remakes or just a punchy title. You know, Queen Bee, you know, yes, Sting. Well, considering a Taiwanese filmmaker has made a bunch of, or, or at least a couple, of Zadoichi ripoffs, uh, we can presume that they may well have seen these uh, Japanese mm. ones you mentioned. Absolutely. Um, he was born anyway, Chester Wang, in, nine, in 1946 in Chinchu, North Taiwan, and he was the son of a newspaper reporter. After graduating high school and doing military service, he studied film at the National Arts School and earned a directing degree. And uh, he started to learn... Uh, right after uh, after graduating, he started to learn the basics of filmmaking under director Yao Feng Pan, and uh, specifically the likes of special effects and uh, and directing as well. And I, I checked out uh, Yao Feng Pan's filmography, which I don't know if it's a female or a male director, but I don't recognize any titles personally. Um, lot of seventies titles, but no credits stand out in terms of me having watched any of the work. So, not it. This director didn't seem like um, he or she was behind generic kung fu or anything because if you look through filmographies, you sometimes just recognize something from the memory bank. You know, <laughs> I might have seen this one. There was nothing there. So, uh, hopefully, a classic director though, and uh, that uh, was uh, a good uh, a good master to work under. Uh, but back then, anyway, to Chester, and this had the name Chester might have been a name IFD gave him when uh, taking on the imprisoned as, as we will explain uh, but it's a fantastic name I, I like the name, name Chester, <laughs> Chester. Uh, he worked as an assistant director on two Jimmy Wang Yu movies at the end of the 70s One-Armed Swordsmen that co-starred and uh, the leads in that movie Jimmy Wang Yu and David Chang they were directors uh, but uh, 
who knows how that went because I know Jimmy Wang you uh, had a history of had a history of clashing with people you know but wanted to take over direct uh, direction yeah. as evident by all the stories on um, from the people involved with uh, the man from Hong Kong they hated Jimmy Wang Yu when he went to Australia to like, I am the star, I'm taking over now. Uh, and, and I'm sure all of that is true because I, I don't think Australian filmmakers are holding a grudge so many years after. I think all of that was pretty much true. Yeah, Brian, Brian Trenchard-Smith is a very amiable guy who gives credit where credit is due. So I believe him. If he had that much of a problem with Jimmy Wang Yu and is stating it, then he must have been a real pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, have I said a one on Swordsman, have you seen that at any point? The original one arm serves him? No, the, the David Chang, Jimmy Wang Yu uh, movie that uh, Chester worked on as assistant director. I think it's yeah. 1976. Yeah, it had a different title, the version I saw, which I'm forgetting at the moment. I don't remember it being anything special, to mm. be honest. Because it seems like a match made in heaven. You know, David was in the new one arm Swordsman, the, the third movie, and the, to pair them up, uh, you know, two superstars, uh, arguably. Seemed cool on paper, anyway. But who knows? Uh, Chester also worked on as assistant director on Return of the Chinese Boxer. But uh, he his debut, as listed anyway on HKMDB, is My Life's on the Line, aka Sixty Second Assassin, that co-starred uh, Langayan, I believe. I don't remember the lead's name. I remember he had a wicked mustache and he was a pretty good uh, martial artist. But um... yeah, Young Karyan and Dean Checker in that one. Right. And remember that that movie had one of those super abrupt endings it ended before the end kick or end move and blood came run animated blood cartoon blood came running down the screen like, huh <laughs> okay yeah, yeah. We're, we're done <laughs> so i wonder if like a uh, part of the last reel went missing on some versions but uh, anyway th- that was kind of fun uh but uh there's an unlisted debut uh, when um, we're looking at the Chinese-only language uh, biographies on, on Chester. And the only reason I could find this out because I got help from Sylvia Roram again of uh, the One-Armed podcast on this network uh, with the research. And uh, she came across a, a title that was earlier than My Life's on the Line, but uh, there was no English title. So we'll have to leave that, um, leave that mystery behind. We move on to the busy production year for Chester of 1981 and 1982, which he managed to have released um, nine movies, which is pretty pretty decent. And uh, he continued to be a sort of trendsetter in terms of uh, creating social realism on screen, on Taiwanese screens, and and the female revenge movies that became popular. He certainly was... um, part of um it was part of like enhancing that reputation with queen bee and queen bee's revenge the imprisoned the outlaw i love these titles <laughs> and uh he often worked with uh, queen bee uh not star but she's in there somewhere uh louis chan uh, she's in the imprisoned but i can't for the life of me remember who she played uh, but so for this movie she wasn't the lead uh, louis chan yeah, I'm saying that because one of the dislikes I have that I will tell you later is I, I don't remember many characters from Commander Fury or in prison. They are just a bunch of girls. And uh, Louis Chan is somewhere in there. Yeah, and IFD gives them such generic names that it's it's really easy to for, forget who is who. Yeah. But uh, on the uh, on the topic of the title of the film, again, for, as I said, for the longest time I couldn't figure out the original title because my version that I've always had is the IFD presented and presumably complete or mildly cut uh, um, edit of Commander Fury, uh, of, of the imprisoned, and they retitled it to Commander Fury. 
What does that even mean, John? Hmm. It's, yes. one, it's one of Joseph Lies, one from column A and one from column B titles. Uh, it maybe means I, not, nothing in this in this case. Maybe he had like a dartboard, uh, you know, with words in his office, you know. You know, <laughs> death uh, or commando or um, lady or Shaolin or yeah, just combine whatever whatever they came up with. Uh, I still like it. Uh, it's a, It makes for a great title the way they... Uh, um, title in the trailer the way the IFT trailer man uh, deliver it I remember he just for some reason wanted to say it really fast come out of fury <laughs> well, he's got a lot of copy to get through in two minutes yeah absolutely uh, Ch- uh, Wang's credit is intact here it's, um, it says directed by Chester Wang and again that might have been the first time uh, Wang ever got a an- westernized uh, name uh, attached to his name but they you know it's him they didn't put Godfrey Ho on there, or a generic uh, Western name, you know, Steve Anderson, or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they respected the movie because they were presenting it, it intact after all. Yeah, IFD was good for that. I mean, it was Phil Mark who always stuck these English names on. Bruce Livingstone. Yes. Uh, which I think is, although it's a cut and paste uh, movie, I think that's the director of Robo Vampire. I yep, think that's uh, Bruce Livingstone, a Livingstone. Fantastic, though. I like that. Uh, um, but I they did have sort of say fun uh, by when they were making up their credits because the continuity person on Commander Fury is Charity Mac. <laughs> <laughs> the legend, Charity Mac, that uh, the Taiwanese cinema industry knows about. But but then again, if you look at the credits, you uh, by now maybe John, you 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 see that they producers or social producers or executive producers on the original that you can see on HKMDB, they turn up in the IFD credits as well with pretty much that title, you know, a producing title of sorts. So they they had, you know, they knew of the original names to some extent. They they, they did have some kind of sheet t- telling people who, who worked on this because they needed to retitle them, uh, the actors anyway, to something, you know, Lou or Chan or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there'd be suspicious credits in IFD films, like Godfrey Ho getting listed as production designer or art director, mm. but it, it seems for the most part they give the main uh, technical people their due in the English yeah. dubs. Absolutely. And a big, big, big directed by credit across the entire widescreen frame. So, I mean, they, they, you know, a sign of respect. Uh, again, back to the title. Let, let's take this really slowly here. Okay, the imprisoned turning to Commander Fury at IFT. Everybody got that? Uh, when I was having my when doing my review originally and ha- having my fears about, you know, I wanted to find out what the original movie was. And uh, so I-, I settled on the entry on Hong Kong Movie Database at the time that, because you had Chester Wang or Wong, you can sort of start start your research via that. And uh, the movie called Visiting Prison on Chester's filmography, I, I, I thought was probably the one. I mean, it had prison, I could match up cost to some extent. But since then, uh, the staff at HKMDB has identified it as the imprisoned with the AKA visiting prison. But uh, before I go on, you found another AKA, although I don't know if it's trustworthy or not, but there is another AKA before you go on. <laughs> yeah, amazingly. Uh, the Internet Movie Database, at least here from Canada. I know from different countries, sometimes at different title displays, I've heard. But uh, mm. from, from Canada, this film is called Concentrational Camp for Girls. <laughs> I have no idea if that's a real title or what market that would have been used in. Because this movie was not released here. It, it, I, I don't think it even played in uh, Toronto Chinatown, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. 
other examples of, examples of IFD type of products uh, playing uh, playing in um, your local Chinatowns towns or Canadian Chinatowns? Uh, yeah, exposed to danger played in Toronto. Yes, that's right. Uh, so. Yep, the, that, it sounds very literal that title. Though, <laughs> if you go, if if, it, if you take like extract something from the Chinese title, we rework it into something that isn't purely literally translated, and then throw it out into the world, if it is indeed true. Uh, but okay, for some reason, this movie, which is a 1982 movie, it was released in Hong Kong in the early. Uh, okay, that wasn't unusual, but it, they re-released it in the early 90s on uh, video only, as far as I can see, and there's therefore a tight or rather an entry on Hong Kong Movie Database uh, under the title Woman Prison 1991. And this is not to be confused with um, sort of lesser known but really good Carol Dodo Chang prison movie called uh, Woman Prison, uh, which was released in 1988. So do you think that this has got a re-release to cash in on the Category 3 trend? or? Uh, It's a good theory. I I have no real theory other than someone did re-release it, Universe picked it up, <laughs> released it on video, and uh, dubbed it into Cantonese, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, and riding on the, you know, on the wave of, uh, in you know, in the wake of Prison on Fire, certainly could, uh, you could make a buck uh, uh, release, re-releasing genre movies like this, and Ringo Lam was still a hot item, so, you know, who knows, and maybe it didn't cost Universe a whole lot to, to tackle this and uh, do a Cantonese uh, dub of it, uh, but uh, if it indeed was not Cantonese dubbed uh, since before. Uh, anyway, as I say, Universe released this on video in Hong Kong, and subsequently the Eastern Heroes, um, that was a UK company, their venture into the Netherlands, known as Forbidden Asia, their label that they created for for the Netherlands, uh, promising uncut, fully uncut Hong Kong horror and exploitation. Uh, this was a claim that wasn't uh, true for... A lot of the titles, though very few were actually uncut. Um, Escape from Brothel was one, so um, so at least we got that. But they put out this movie on VHS and working from Woman Prison 1991. But they retitled it Two Girls in the Tiger Cage. Now that's a title. That is a title, and it's also an older movie. In uh, <laughs> it's also an older movie that they kind of took the title from because there is uh, Shin Sang Ok. Um, two movie series called Girls in the Tiger Cage from the late 70s. Uh, and Shin Sang-ok was a Korean director. So th- these were like Taiwanese or Hong Kong, Taiwanese, Korean co-productions. Mm. Uh, Shin actually made his biggest claim to fame is that he claims he was kidnapped by Kim Jong-il and was forced to make movies for him, including Pulgasari. Yeah, and <laughs> what a film that is. That is a fantastic film, and uh, we tell that entire story on what's Korean cinema, so check that out. The IFD version, back to their version, Commander Fury, that we watched, it was released cropped to full screen on Greek VHS, but our view and copy for this review was again, uh, and we got to be eternally grateful for Japanese uh, two Japanese video companies, because they put out this movie in full scope, widescreen VHS. And then the company was Teichiku, so they came through for us again. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm thinking, like, put, putting myself into the mind of uh, if the Japanese public either wanted or were just used to the fact that these were the, these were the presentations. And you know, because at that time, you know, it was a hard sell before people understood the concept of widescreen. 
Uh, but Japan seemed to be, um, they uh, made their viewing audiences used to the fact that uh, this is the way to view movies and the big black bars were, wasn't a thing, an issue. Yeah, my, my guess is that uh, this was commonplace on Japanese television. Uh, so people were already used to it. I mean, I know people who worked in video stores here when widescreen was starting to become commonplace. And it's just the pains they went through trying to explain what widescreen is to people. And they would just look at them back, just not, just not getting it. Mm-hmm. But uh, so good, good for the Japanese. I mean, they indoctrinated everybody in the proper format early on. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, as you pretty much know, uh, if you follow even in a general sense, um, home video in Japan, the uh, presentations were always very good as well. Uh, I mean, we are looking at VHS copies, but they are very good looking. They are not, um, you know, the tape sources in, in themselves are very good, thankfully, but the, presenta- the presentations are, in my mind, that way, way above uh, average. Yeah, and also the Japanese video companies tend to put the subtitles under the image, so they aren't intruding on the picture like those damn Greek videos when they're mm-hmm. in those black strips. <laughs> blocking yeah, exactly. The picture away. Uh, so that's um, that's unfortunately uh, the way we could judge the movie, so to say, in, in full widescreen and dubbed in English by IFD. And uh, before we move on to the movie, I want to give a big shout out again to Sylvia of our one-armed podcast on this network for helping me out with translating the Chinese language biographies on, on the director Chester because he, he, he has a place, although it's not as documented as it should be. And, and even in Taiwan black movies, he didn't get, he is interviewed. But he isn't uh, isn't given a huge spot or anything because the documentary doesn't really structure itself in that way. Running an hour, they don't stop to focus on have chapters on different directors. Uh, they just move from some movies here and there, and some director here and there, and appear, here and there appears, and then it's over. Uh, and the, and look, I remember that they played the trailer in the documentary, and they might have had uh, the imprisoned as an English title or. A variation of that because it it, um, it rings a bell uh, that trailer looked fantastic but it was one of those trailers that was projected on like a wall or a cloth in that mm. movie and looked yeah. all red right uh, which is you know it's it's the trailers or whatever but uh, so- sources for the trailer anyway not that good and who knows what the sources are like in uh, Taiwan for this movie because there is a Taipei um, film archive but I don't know if how how like wealthy that is if if you know what i mean wealthy on movies <laughs> if that is uh if they are trying to remaster stuff or not but um, yeah and also are they concentrating more on the uh, the upper end the upper market art titles rather than the the junky stuff that we love yeah exactly having said that someone maybe not them but someone for a while anyway released um remastered versions of uh, older swordplay movies older kung fu movies from the 70s and 80s and not necessarily like the big guns i mean there were remastered versions of the brave and the evil with jimmy wang yu and some um some swordplay starring uh Polly Kwan, but uh, um that was something that stopped it was released on dvd was even put out with english subtitles new english subtitles but um it didn't really last for long but uh, it was fantastic um for for a period and and the dvd releases came with original artwork as well mm-hmm. uh, on yeah. the front so fantastic stuff so the review of the imprisoned or commando fury or 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 <laughs> we'll be here for half an hour <laughs> until we listed all the titles but uh let's just for the sake of it call call it the imprisoned or commando fury and uh, what's your first brief opinion of this genre movie this wip movie john 
Um, not generally a fan of this genre. The few that I do like, um, like The Big Dollhouse and The Big Birdcage, uh, like, uh, those are directed by Jack uh, Hill in the Philippines. Um, they tend to have a, a fair amount of humor to leaven the uh, the exploitation content, and this movie really doesn't have any humor. It's uh, um, I just I find these films rather dull and unrewarding, and that was my reaction for the first two thirds of this. Um, once they get out of the camp finally and get into the jungle, I think it really picks up uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the the thrills and just the pacing. I did I did find the first hour to be a bit of a slog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I tend to agree, and I, I do like this like this quite a bit overall. Not really. I, I don't have a huge relationship with the WIP genre, but but I do like the examples I've seen. Uh, you know, Bamboo House of Dolls being a, being one of the front runners in Hong Kong uh, that people mm, remember yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, from Shaw Brothers. Uh, in IFD's hands, I think uh, Commander Fury or the Imprisoned was in the in great hands, you know, because they 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 didn't. Cut and paste, uh, cut and paste this movie and let it out in the world uh, this way for for it to be seen, and uh, I, I do appreciate that because this grit, this new wave grit of the late seventies and early eighties in Taiwan, uh, it, it really deserved to be seen a whole lot, and, uh, regardless of how widely this was seen on on screens or not. Yeah. And 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 I I do commend IFT for for making sure it's. Um, uh, it was captured, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, restri- redistributed, and more and, and was more widespread than it was ever destined to be. Uh, despite the trees coming to life in this movie, <laughs> the, <laughs> nothing can take away from the fact that this is kind of a fairly good showcase for what you know what is right with the genre, what is kind of wrong with the genre, because it doesn't make sense. Uh, certain elements are. Certain elements are later in the film versus certain elements early in the film, but uh, it's uh, the, the cruelty, I guess, of the first half. I think yeah, because it's a pretty cruel movie. Yeah. Uh, gets you know, I, I I don't get bored by that stuff. I'm sorry if that sounds horrible, but I, I don't get bored of <laughs> <laughs> bored of that stuff. But uh, it, it's certainly you know the bizarre jungle warfare, if you will, that the closest uh, film, the last few reels, is certainly better. So I do agree. Uh, so, um, what else do you want to leave with here? I, I mean, talking of that first hour, you know, do, do, for instance, do you think that the, this movie is too cruel, or do you appreciate that it pushes buttons the way it does? Because it is sadistic, this movie, to, to a large degree. Uh, yeah, sadistic, definitely. It's not graphic in terms of bloodshed or limbs being chopped off or so forth, but it, it is pretty relentless. Uh, like, for example, we have uh, Yang Xiang, the uh, from Last Breath, the big bald guy the rapist and mm-hmm. he's the sadistic head guard in this and in the english dub he's called vulture <laughs> which <laughs> seems rather rather perfect he he's just laying into these poor girls who are like half his size of course so that just makes it seem even worse and and and, and the girls are put you know it, it's not a studio production this uh, i mean uh, okay it has maybe a one or two indoor sets and what have you but otherwise i think these girls have put through a whole lot of um you know, method, <laughs> method directing, if you will, dragging them through uh, through gravel, and uh, I'm sure this actor wasn't, you know, holding down the girls as fiercely as portrayed in the movie. But it seems like they had to go through some harsh stuff to to make the effect seem real, according to the director here. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about how Lu Xiaofan was put through the ringer on some of her films, but uh, I, I could see her saying, uh, uh, "No, I'm not doing this. <laughs> forget, <laughs> forget it. No, 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 no." And, and and this operation in the movie, this uh, this uh, 
prison labor camp and uh, blackmail operation it seems like it has gone way beyond just like the blackmail intention and the heads and guards just enjoy taking out their sadistic urges on on the women instead you know it's somewhat structured i mean they brand them as soon as they <laughs> come to a prison uh permanently brand them which is uh, probably one of the more graphic sites in the movie although it's a it, it's a cutaway effect obviously to a dummy chest or what have you but uh, you know it, it, it doesn't waste any time this movie goes for it immediately and has you know throughout this hour uh, despite the last half hour being better it has force feeding and whipping and a few women are burned alive they're put into yeah. these tight cages and I mean it's dehumanizing stuff this and the way I'm talking about it sounds like I'm enjoying this it's fun it's fun it, it's 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 not I mean it's pretty harsh stuff to take and I'm sure uh, it offends on some levels if you want to you want to be that kind of viewer but i think it ticks off you know genre content fairly well at least when you list this stuff if you know what i mean yeah i mean it, it's similar to bamboo house of dolls except that film is, has the shaw brothers production values and uh, you know a higher grade of uh, performers generally but uh, i mean it's not chained heat where you're sitting there laughing at the the campiness and the, the dialogue and the just the goofy situations now, this is a pretty relentless film until they get out of the camp mm-hmm uh, one, you know, the actor you mentioned, very convincing vulture. Uh, I didn't really buy a Richard Choice uh, prison warden, though. Uh, Richard has been in The Lady Avenger. He was in On the Society File of Shanghai. This thin, thin guy, usually had glasses and what have you. You know, he's played an ass in, in movies like The Lady Avenger. He plays uh, Liu Xiaofan's uh, uh, fiance. He's a, her asshole fiance that I have no understanding right. about. Uh, you know, why were you raped? You're horrible. <laughs> uh, but he's not very convincing as this prison warden. They dress him up and hope for the best, kind of. Well, it's funny. I mean, in the opening credits, as IFD was wont to do, uh, they consist of still frames from the movie. Um, and you, there's this amazing shot of Wang Xia, which I think is the greatest shot I've ever seen of. He's got an eye patch and he's just grimacing, and his, his one die that you can see is practically popping out of his head. It would have been great if he played the warden, uh, but he doesn't show up till the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And and this is another case where a character actor is so identified with playing a, a different, a certain type of character. So when he shows up to save the women at the end, you just sit there thinking, "Oh no, you're not coming here to save them. <laughs> <laughs> you're Wang Xia. You're going to fuck them over in some way." Oh yes, and, and sure enough, he does. What a wonderful comfort present Wang Xia is in Taiwan. He's him. I, I don't know how you how you feel, but I I, I just love. Well, I mean, he's a, he's a he's a solid actor and a veteran actor, so it's not like he's embarrassing to watch whenever he tries drama, what have you. He's great in Revenges, as I talked about the last episode, I think. But I find that uh, though certain character actors are just makes me in- instantly comfortable, even if it's only a one minute cameo, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so is he your Charlie Cho? Uh, yeah, who knows what what uh, <laughs> how, how you should compare it. But I just like uh, Wang Xie and. Um, sword play sword play genre veteran or could play any genre really and and, and look the same for about 30 40 years so. yeah exactly uh but but richard you know R- richard gets lines at least in the english dubbing uh to amp up this uh that is a hard hard sadistic warden like i enjoy mind fucking no one <laughs> dies without my permission so okay f- fine it sets the tone and uh and he orders and actually i think he might be the one who sets a sets a girl on fire at one point so yeah one of the girls has one of the best ifd dubbing insults i've ever heard i can't remember the situation because there's so many scenes where women are getting abused in this but <laughs> the one woman stands up to her attacker and just says balls to you <laughs> it's it sounds like a uh 
something that would have been in the original subtitles, the yeah, original maybe. Chinese English subtitles. Balls to you, how cruel you are! Uh, but they, it's it's nothing that is pleasant. Uh, all, all of this, as we said, or you know, or titillating. Uh, but uh, I, it's odd because I I do agree that with you that that it's not very snappy this first hour compared to this uh, last half hour. But I, I do think the movie moves it. Chester Wang keeps it energetic, snappy, and features a whole lot of this violence and sadism and and, and what have you. And uh, we we talked about uh, that uh, there is a rape in this movie that is very short. So possibly the um, vulture takes a woman aside and uh, and presumably rapes her, but it ends uh, rather quickly. But, you know, who knows if Chester thought like, you know, I'm going to pour it on, but not that much. Yeah, I have no idea what the, the Taiwanese version of this film is like, or, or at least was back in the early 80s. I can't imagine it coming out as intact as the version we saw. But... Mm. Yeah, yeah, you never knew with IFD either. You, sometimes I think like I should just assume that there will be no gore and no sex in the IFD presented versions. And, and that is true for some versions that, that they are devoid of that. But then recently I saw Ninja Thunderbolt um, because I did a review of both the original Source movie, To Catch a Thief, and the cut and paste movie that that it became, and uh, it had, but both both have sex, but the VFD version has way more raunchy alternate sex scenes. Mm. They 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 clearly shot uh, alternate um, alternate footage on the spot. So so the VFD versions were not they they could have that uh, before shooting them out into the world. I know. I know. We've we've talked about examples where Filmark has cut gore and violence out of of quasi horror films to try and sell them as action films. But I never got the impression IFD did that. If the movies mm. had exploitation content, then they send it to distributors that way and then let them cut it if necessary. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Because we we have like um, what is it, um, Phoenix the Ninja, which was miraculous, miraculous flower originally. That was devoid of all the fun gore of that Pearl Chung movie, but um, right. But uh, so you never know, and and you, you take what you get, and we get a whole lot in this movie. That that would probably be the only scene that seemed like hey, that that might have been too much for for someone, and they cut it before shipping it to Japan or what have you. And uh, and uh, that was pr- that pretty much it. I mean, Japan probably wouldn't object to this. They, no, they would have <laughs> put it on the cover. Yeah, they'd say, hey, you got any more we can put in the movie? <laughs> uh, but. Uh, you know, you know, so I, I do enjoy it as an exploitation movie. You know, it it has cruelty, sadism, violence, and what? what why not have that and living trees? Yes, let's let, talk about that. Let the evil dead take over for a minute. <laughs> What's your take on? You know, set up the context if you can remember. <laughs> Well, the girls have escaped from the camp and they're going through the jungle trying to get to wherever they're going and. Uh they stop by some trees with these long vines hanging from them, and the vines attack them uh, a la Evil Dead. There's no, no attempted vine rape, but I mean, there's no supernatural content in this film before this scene, and there's none after. So I have, I guess it's a carnivorous tree. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have those in Taiwan? It, it's uh, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 if this was a video podcast, I'm like shrugging. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on here, but you know, I, I enjoy that it's a kind of why not moment for me. I know I'm like making excuses for the director, but it, it is a fantastic little beat that that the way it comes out of nowhere works so well for me. Uh, and, and, and by this point, this, uh, this, uh, this last 20, 30 minutes has some snap to it in terms of uh, violence and action and the chases on. And uh, it's, um, 
you know, it has energy. Uh, finally, maybe for you, it had energy. I don't know if you felt it had snap or had snappy pace of energy during the first first hour, but now it you know springs to life because it finally isn't as dark anymore too because yeah i mean we've got a variety of jungle locations we've got people getting caught in traps and jumping off waterfalls and uh, a plastic crocodile shows up at one point but unfortunately yes. it doesn't, doesn't attack anybody um, which but... is totally pointless though like, they you, you, wow it's a croc fury movie no it's not <laughs> Yeah, which yeah, would have... I, was, I was a little disappointed that there was no crocodile action going on there. One thing that I uh, didn't feel was uh, present was uh, the ability to extract um, characters and character traits. Uh, we, we're talking about a group of women, but no one really stands out. In, in The only one that does, and this is an actor called Lucia Fen, but it's not her. <laughs> it's not uh, Lady Avenger on the Society File of Shanghai. Lu Xiaofan. She, look, she looks like her, oddly enough. Uh, she plays... Um, she, she, she's uh, with the uh, prison wardens or uh, what have you. She's uh, one of the guards that keep... Uh, yeah, I, I guess keep, uh, keep them all in check. Uh, but might have an alternate agenda, if you will. Uh, as it turns out. And uh, she, she was good, I thought. I mean, she looks, uh, she looks good. She's shot fairly well you know that long that, that long hair of hers is put to put good use uh, you know they, they, they put a fan to good use and therefore <laughs> you know aiming the fan at the long hair will create some fairly iconic stuff you know her character also has the greatest way of hiding microfilm i've ever seen in the movie she sews it inside her leg oh yes <laughs> now, now surely your body would have uh, enzymes attacking that area i guess she had it in there for quite a while too it wasn't just for a day or two this this was months. <laughs> if, I have, if I have the time frame right. In this yeah, yeah that, that was pretty kick ass. And she, she she obviously stands out because she looks different from any of the women, of course. But I thought she she did well. And uh, and uh, it's odd that her, if that is correct, as almost the exact same name as our Liu Xiaofan, but uh, her Cantonese name is uh, somewhat different. And uh, yeah, and it isn't her. I know that. I know my wife. <laughs> That's not her. <laughs> Oh, what'd you think of the bullet extraction? I've I've seen lots of movies where people are trying to dig bullets out, and it takes a long time, and the person's in pain. And in this film, one girl gets shot, and another girl has a look at her leg, and she says, "There it is," and she reaches it down and pulls it out. <laughs> it's like pulling out a thorn or something. Another fantastic moment that you really can't complain about. Uh, however, you know this movie might, of course, it lacks logic, but uh, it, it doesn't go, it doesn't pour it on too much. You know, they features. Ten too many moments that you would have liked in in a movie. I, I think this it's why I think this movie is very snappy and uh, and uh, and keeps it up. That it that it satisfies the exploitation urge in me, I suppose, and uh, and and it builds fairly nicely, especially when they go go out in, into the jungle and what have you. And uh, there's so much wrong here, of course, but uh, there's genre awesomeness overall. I think, uh, especially because it's so cruel and. Uh, and of course, um, lacking in lacking in logic when it turns supernatural. But um, you know, it has something. And wh- is it is it a surprise that Joseph Lai, you know, picked wanted this, or is it a surprise that when he saw the movie in his package deal that he wanted to to you know use it to dub it to bring it out to, to bring it, to sell it to the distributors? Hell no! I mean, WIP was in the eighties. A sellable thing uh, still, I guess, uh, despite being a decade-old genre. 
Yeah, I guess I guess most foreign buyers probably consider women in prison films to be more porn than action. Maybe that's why they went with a title like Commando Fury. Like they just sent their list of these uh, available titles to distributors and said, "Okay, here's our action package." Mm-hmm. And there's a title called Commando Fury in there. So, who knows? Maybe some distributors didn't even know this was going to be a women in prison film when they bought it. Yeah, I imagine the uh, deals being uh, rather, you know, fast uh, in that regard and. Uh... I'm sure they could be based on titles and a cover only, you know, and uh, and and um, that uh, we're very thankful for that. In if that was indeed the case, <laughs> because we got Commander Fury and we got it in this way too. Did you recognize any of the music here? No, that's uh, your job. I and and, <laughs> and and by saying that, I, I'm I'm so bad with that stuff. It has to be Star Wars or the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Or otherwise, I'm. I'm lost. So okay, okay, because there's a lot of music here from Mad Max too. So okay, <laughs> I didn't know how familiar you are with Mad Max too. That's but, a uh... long time ago, so no. But um, was it uh, for you that recognizes this stuff? Is it is it well used or is it so out of left field that it, you know it doesn't belong doesn't belong here at all? Or how do you think about it? Uh, well, it's it suits the mood for the, the various scenes but mm. uh, because it, it's so ingrained in my mind with another film <laughs> it really stands out and there's also a lot of uh, tangerine dream here of course uh, the only film i recognized for sure was uh, wavelength i think the other tangerine dream stuff is from their various earlier albums and uh, boy there's a lot of tangerine dream in the next film we're going to be covering too <laughs> well, I, I, and that wasn't even ifd the next movie it's uh, like they took yeah. it's an export edit that seems like I mean, they surely are, must be pissed, or maybe they earn so much money from their various movie ventures, uh, Tangerine Dream, uh, composing scores that they don't care. <laughs> I guess not. But right. uh, you know, I would have been pissed if um, if I found this out. And uh, and even you know, on a, on a on a different tangent, uh, the uh, the German group that had its music in most of the Flying Guillotine uh, at one point a few years ago finally said, nah you are not going to release that movie with our music again. And um, that was what happened. Uh, a release that came subsequently had didn't have their music as far as I know. They replaced it with generic stuff. Yeah, the American uh, distributor did pay up to uh, the group new. Yeah. So the, the American video versions do have their music, but I, I understand the British version has terrible alternate music yeah. stuck in. Which is a shame because it fits that... I, I, I don't know how you feel, but it fits that mood so well, that rocking rocking sound uh song that uh is in the opening credits of uh, most of the fly team yeah that's who i see when i hear that music now so absolutely it works perfectly and uh and no effort was put into actually choosing that other than flipping flipping for records ah i like this track in you know and then and then continuing like the picking process it was not like if it was you know, we know Frankie Chan picked a lot of music for movies. It was not like they sat there with the director for three or four days. Yeah, this will fit the mood. No, 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 no. <laughs> Just take it. <laughs> take it. <laughs> take it. Well, that was Jimmy Wang Yu's baby, so he must have liked it. Yeah, so uh, that's all good. Uh, I don't have any more particular notes on the Imprison other than I wholeheartedly approve of it. It, 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 it works for me as, um, as a, it has the content of uh, and, and then some of a WIP slash living tree movie if that's a genre <laughs> i'm not quite as sold as you on the film I, I think it's still worth watching but i thought the first two-thirds which i understand the intent uh, but I, I found it a little dreary and repetitive but once they're outside the uh, prison in the jungle i think it really picks up so um i'd still give the film a qualified recommendation mm-hmm. 
and on availability again it's a uh, it's um, not anything that's available officially not even on bootlegs as far as i know so um our japanese vhs uh, might be out there on uh, i mean japanese vhs turn up on ebay uh, every now and again i know that uh, but uh, it's probably online sources torrents and what have you that it's going to be a safest bet for this one because uh, ift are not releasing dvds of their own and all that stuff and no one is interested in commando fury anymore except for us absolutely and maybe we can increase interest so a dvd release will happen criterion are you listening (laughs) (laughs) work with joseph lai that'll be fun for you criterion i guess Hmm. we'll go to taiwan and just look up stuff man if someone has time or resources or know about this or know about these movies just go through vaults in taiwan for me please yeah, yeah, we need we need we need someone like Mike Vrainy who found all those classic American sex films in the U.S. to just go to Taiwan and Hong Kong and just salvage these prints before they're gone. Because mm-hmm. I mean, especially with them going to digital now, this in, these inventories, if they aren't already gone, they're they're going to be gone very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, all righty, we are taking a break, and the second half of our um, double bill is the Devil from 1981. The, the imprisoned and the Devil, as we said, but they they were two separate movies, as it turned out. Not one. That's my inner inner desire. <laughs> that was my inner <laughs> desire, but unfortunately, I have to settle with the fact that they are two movies. But that's okay. Uh, okay. See you after a break, guys. <laughs> Welcome back, and this is the review of The Devil from 1981, and the plot for it from my review of the film. Moving into a hotel run by a family, co-housing, played by Sherman Wong, falls for the daughter Shirley, played by Wong Bo Yuk, after some nifty matchmaking by the bellboy called Ding Dong, played by Little After Audi. Uh, while the rest of the family is suspicious about how fast the romance falls into place, uh, a marriage is arranged. And, but it's happiness that doesn't last long as Ko is a con man out to destroy the family for his own financial benefit. Sights of a dead girl suggest Ko has a past connected to murder though. And uh, a death in the hotel family triggers the need for an eye for an eye stance via the auntie, played by Lao Yin Sung, who knows how to care, cast deadly spells. And uh, boy does she ever. Mm. Uh, this is directed by Zhang Renier. Uh, here's the problem, though. <laughs> I, I, I asked Sylvia again, but she couldn't find any info on this director at all. It's uh, one that no one knows about, cares about, except for the fact that this director made a few movies, that um, two or three movies that people care a fair amount about. The, those who have seen it, that is. Which is not a whole lot, so <laughs> there you go. Anyway, looking at his filmography... Uh, the Devil was the fifth movie of Shang's, uh, having made Iron Neck Lee and Born in Coffin prior. I've seen Iron Neck Lee. The only thing I remember is Shi uh, Quan Chun is in it. It's a period movie. Mm-hmm. And he dies maybe three-fourths into the movie, but he's still, they, they still rig him up and uh, have him turn up at the end fight you know, to shock the bad guys. And, oh my god, he's alive! <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. He did another one called Dragon on the Shaolin Tower. I, I saw that one. 
Yeah, so, uh, so, so it's been involved in those genres as well. And they directed up until 1993, I think the last movie is a movie called Wonderful Killer, which is a movie I have but have not watched yet. It's set on a Hong Kong movie database, Bullet Ballet, so it has action of some some kind. But uh, if any movie outside of The Devil stands out on his resume, is uh, the rare, in a subtitle version, that is, cult favorite Witch with Flying Head. Which, by all accounts, looking at the images, is pretty insane and graphic and creative. At least the creation of the witch with flying head, which is a head, and below her is merely her innards floating <laughs> about, I guess. Yes. That looks great. At least in still form. Uh, and, um, wow. Uh, it's it's available mostly unsubtitled. We're going to talk about it at the end of the show a little bit. And we might be able to cover it in a subtitled version, but um, more on that later. Uh, on availability of The Devil, what we watched again is the Japanese widescreen VHS release by Tokuma, one of the more frequent companies in terms of uh, that put out movies that we cover anyway. They put out a lot of ninja movies and what have you. It was dubbed in English, but IFD were not responsible for this version. This is, by all accounts, the export version that has over the years seen a US VHS um, release that was cropped the video city productions apparently put it out but evidence suggests that the two u.s dvd releases by digital conquest and the the always hailed video mm. asia <laughs> they used the japanese vision monster and put it on dvd i've actually heard in terms of uh, one of those releases anyway that it actually looks worse than vhs for some reason yeah, and apparently the Video Asia version is actually called Devil's Express, which is a, the title of an American exploitation film, which has nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> so. Viva Video Asia, I guess. Yeah, uh, speaking of Video City, this this The Devil is kind of a seminal film for a lot of uh, American and Canadian people who are getting into these movies because it was available domestically. And I think offhand, it was the only film of this type that you could find in American video stores dubbed in English. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, the Video City version, as I remember, all their releases had weird color problems. Like it was kind of pinkish purple, and it's funny. Their their uh, symbol was uh, Charlie Chaplin's uh, little tramp character, but boy, their movies were not <laughs> not at all what you'd associate with Charlie Chaplin. So anyway, a lot of people have seen this movie, and um, it, it definitely made its mark on a lot of people too, from what I've read. Uh, did they have any other Asian Asian horror stuff on their labels? Do you remember any other stuff where it was mostly American movies or what have you? Uh, they, have, they have a pretty wild uh, Filipino movie called Boy God, mm-hmm. which is definitely worth tracking down. Uh, oh. I can't remember if that was the title on the Video City box or not, but that's the title I know it under, and that's the version I saw many years back. But uh, keep keep an eye out for that one. Pretty nifty little label, I guess, with uh, intentions. Um, because they, they, okay, as we said, they had color problems, but they did pick up some cool movies, and uh, that has created a rep since then, at least in terms of the devil. Like they they started initiating a rep, and uh, that is now uh, kind of carried over to at least there, there's still a few viewers left out there anyway of the devil. Yep. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's those DVD releases I said that that's. Possibly the easiest way to find these movies. So check the usual retail sites and uh, check for used copies on eBay and what have you. So I think uh, you can still find them. uh, At least one of them is is double build with another movie. As far as I know. But uh, that doesn't matter anymore. We got what we prefer, which is the Japanese widescreen VHS. Uh, And uh, my first note on this, I, I, 
I like this a lot. Yeah, it's goo and gore. <laughs> I mean, that, that's all you gotta say. And the, the, the director of the documentary Taiwanese, uh, Taiwan Black Movie, surely would have known off or, 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 or when he found it, if he found it at that time researching, he would have fallen in love with the devil for obvious reasons. Because here we got the elements of black magic and sorcery, you know, black magic and sorcery movies. And, uh, and, uh, this movie also, because of it being in the early 80s, they realized that the only way to bring it up to disgusting levels is by doing it for real. Uh, doing it yourself, or rather letting the actors <laughs> do <Yeah>. it <laughs> for you. Because uh, uh, the direction went, put that in your mouth. And uh, and uh, that 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 is that is a uh, uh, that is not uh, sexual at all. It's uh, absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Maggots and uh, goo and gore and uh, who knows how, who knew how the casting session went for for these movies. You know. <laughs> yeah, I was just, just going to mention that. I mean, it must have a pretty small talent pool. Are you willing to put a live snake in your mouth? No. Okay. Well, sorry. Next. <laughs> next. There, there were a select few. I mean, look at Margaret Lee in Centipede Horror over in Hong Kong. And that final scene was where she vomits live centipedes on camera twice. Yeah. Uh, so th- this movie is physically doing it all. And uh, I, I think it is shock tactics that is very much bearable. So, so what's your opinion? Well, it's funny. You, you will know from the opening scene whether you want to watch this movie because there's the, the scene where the witch is trying to save this man who's been infected with some, some kind of curse. And so she slices him open and is pulling out snakes and other weird, creepy crawlies. She's digging her hands around in his intestines while he's screaming in pain. She's pulling this stuff out and throwing it away. And if you can make it through that scene and if you enjoy it, if that's the proper term here, (laughs) then you should definitely stick around for the rest of the film. And if you didn't, then just turn it off now because it it gets worse, people. But, but it's a pretty nifty special effects showcase. They both have special effects makeup. They have cutaways to you know the fake body with the you know where she reaches in and pulls out all of this stuff. But they're doing it for real. You know the boils in particular. That those are nasty as and effective um, makeup effects. And boils always are you know pus filled boils or what have you. Mm-hmm. And it's shot in this you know overly stylistic you know layer of hers you know with with the red and uh, and uh, and blinking skull on the wall <laughs> what have you so 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 what do you think of this mix of you know we, we're talking special effects and how you edit and all that stuff i mean you, surely surely this is effective stuff even today you know it, ha- it packs a punch yeah i mean the, the the shaw brothers film black magic was an obvious inspiration on this movie um the devil doesn't have that film's production values but it, it manages to be as disturbing <laughs> in this this sort of vein definitely this doesn't have laser wars a la black magic though but uh, no whatever. pew pew <laughs> <laughs> but but you know that that is actually uh the um the scene after the opening credits there, there, there's a pre pre-credit scene that is you know it's it's kind of confusing here because you, you don't know what's going on and there's eerie shots of a train and loud noises, a girl waiting to be picked up possibly, possibly and then she's killed off viciously using a rock and when she's hit, then the credits come up, you know, in full widescreen, the devil. Yeah, and there's a freeze frame of blood spraying out of her head. I, I yeah. mean, and, and this is intercut with black and white stock footage of a train that I, I assume is from a film from the 40s or 50s, so mm. it, it is a pretty odd uh, opening. It, it's a... It, it was kind of confusing in a in a in a in a in a good way, I would say, because I was, I don't know, it, it just um, it was an atmosphere of you know, this loud train and this stuff, this vicious murder happening. So, but uh, maybe they didn't mean to be so effective about it. But uh, it, it certainly 
starts off and then cuts into the scene we just talked about you know wow it, it sells the movie well before its first reel is over and done with you know it, it doesn't wait until the 40 minute mark or 50 minute mark to to, to give us a hint of uh, what uh, the, a deadly spell can look like and uh, uh, god bless this actors i would not do it for any money in the world to be honest you know no way i hate creepy crawl i, I can watch creepy crawls and stuff on film uh spiders i have no problems with on film i can't watch spider documentaries or whatever with close-ups and shit like that and and uh, but uh you know god bless these uh, actors or poor souls who uh, because the guy in this first scene is not uh, an actor we see throughout the movie or anything it's just uh, his his scene <laughs> and uh, boy oh boy Context is is a thing with me when it comes to this sort of stuff. I, I recently reviewed a film called uh, Of Dolls and Murder, um, mm-hmm. and there's a sequence which was set on what is called a corpse farm. And what it is is the people donate their bodies, and the uh, officials let them sit out in the open uh, to track how they deteriorate, and that they use that in a way in uh, forensic investigations. Huh. So I mean, we get footage of corpses. All that's covering them is like a garbage bag, and so. Uh-huh. You see shots of maggots crawling all over these corpses. Corpses have been stuffed into garbage cans. They've been put in uh, trunks of cars. I mean, this stuff isn't dwelled on, but be- because it's being presented in the documentary context, I, it doesn't really af- affect me um, mm. because it, we're, we're basically learning from this. But in a movie like this, maggots and <laughs> centipedes and green slime and stuff coming out of people. I mean, we have uh, makeup technology is at its height now here in 2012 and we've got cgi to help fake illusions but as i was just saying to a friend the other day after i watched this i can't think of anything even in things like saw that disgust me as much as people vomiting up live uh, creatures <laughs> like and for and, and for longer periods of, or long periods of time in this movie it's not that one sometimes it's not a one two minute sequence it's a feels like five minute sequence of just people uh, disintegrating essentially uh, which is the effective choice in my opinion for this movie uh so it, it got ma- blood not so much but guts and the maggots and snakes and uh centipedes possibly uh and it's uh, it's just a massive amount of goo and goo and uh and the bodily horror to to an extent here but but the, the more the, the most focus is on letting the actors you know just spew the stuff out of, out of their mouth and there's only select uh uh, makeup, special makeup effect imagery. The select imagery there, there is there. Boy, oh boy, is it effective. I mean, you you later get like a shot of a leg where that leaks out pus, mm-hmm. you know. And I think there's uh, scorpions or, sna- or or snakes coming out of your know, open open wounds and what have you. That that looks good. <laughs> looks hell. In my mind, it does. I mean, the VHS print might sell that better, you know, not being super clear but i i i think it uh, looks uh, convincing for my money's worth anyway well it's certainly effectively gross but uh that's you know that's the what people want you know the blood and guts and goo and gore but there there is a story here uh, not you know it's 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 basic i mean there's we, we got an ass here destined for comeuppance uh, the character of Koo, and uh you know the family melodrama doesn't resonate emotionally at all um it's uh it's funny though to have the contrasts of the disgusting scenes we watched with the with the scenes where the, the, the couple are biking together and the bellboy are following them you know it's mm. kind of funny to have that contrast for a while but uh emo- emotional investment in characters 
Nah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty melodramatic, and uh, unfortunately, the English dubbing on this is really pretty awful, mm-hmm. Espe- especially the little boy, Ding Dong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you would think that would be an IFD thing, because they, what was it they named the kid in Diamond Ninja for? Bobo. Bobo, yes. <laughs> and that, that name was annoying, the dubbing wasn't that pretty either. You know, at least when Koo turns, uh, you know, turns a corner, it, it's, it's kind of fun to have a complete ass of a character as uh, someone you you want him dead, you know, considering what he does to this family and uh, how he affects this family. And, uh, and and the movie isn't being a pussy about its stance either. You know, this guy's going to get it. And we're going to get him. <laughs> you know, there's no moral There's no moral here. But no, we shouldn't use our skill of casting deadly spells for this purpose. No, no, no. She does it. Yeah, it's different from the Black Magic films in that uh, the spells, we don't see them being cast. We see people afflicted, and we know this this one witch uses her powers for good. We, the actual person who casts the spells in this version only turns up briefly, and yes. he's, he's out pretty quick. And they they, they, they actually uh, change out drinks and what have you and have people drink it without knowing it. So it's not, um, that that's the only sign of, you know, a spell being prepped, if you will, but it's already prepped. Uh, but... Um, you know, it's a it's workable string for the gooey comeuppance tale that this uh, that this is. You know, and uh, and I I have no problem with that as a horror fan, especially at eight to six minutes. It's uh, it's uh, it's over and done with, and uh, it's just it's just very entertaining to me. But as many movies that I say, I, I say many movies are entertaining. I can still recognize that it's not super well paced throughout because. Um, you know, once I get that disgusting opening, I want more of it, and I don't get it as much. But <laughs> it's not hard to wait for that. That's also my point. So, if if someone hasn't seen this film or the two Shaw Brothers Black Magic films, which would you recommend watching first? This one because I think it's way more. I, I I've seen Black Magic one, and I don't remember it being this this in your face. I mean, it has gross stuff, but uh, I would recommend this because I I. I think uh, I, I just like like the raw nature of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. The raw and gritty nature of it, uh, and that direct, uh, director Zhang really lingers on uh, the two or three main scenes of uh, of victims being uh, deteriorated and uh, spewing guts and uh, maggots and uh, spiders or what have you. I mean, it's it's uh, it's kind of pornographic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's set to this trippy electronic music, some of which is Tangerine Dream. I can't say for certain which album it is. Possibly Electronic Meditation, their first album. Their, their early stuff is a little too hardcore for me. I, I don't listen to it that often. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm pretty sure one of the tracks they used uh, several times is from Electronic Meditation. And it, it works very well with this imagery. But what would you recommend if you had to choose between the Black Magic franchise and the devil? <laughs> Well, I was just thinking because uh, I think the two Black Magic films are slicker and better movies. Um, but so I'm just wondering if you came to the Devil after watching those, would you be disappointed, even though it is a little more graphic, or should you start with what what, what might be a lesser film and then move up to the the better ones? I, I mean, yeah, they are far apart in terms of that, but I, I still don't think the Devil is um, low grade or anything. I think it, uh, you know, it, it's bearable filmmaking and and certainly the tools, the, the technical tools. You know, to provide horror, I think is uh, is up to par. To be honest, because uh, you you don't, it's not an automatic thing that you just throw throw these animals and this uh, you know and slime on the actors and let them go. You know, because there there is skill here in uh, you know with, with the with the jarring camera work and the editing and the sound design. That's um, not revolutionary, but uh, I think it's a it's a wise choice that this movie is fairly loud too. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which I like, and you know, and, and Chang is skilled enough to draw us in via extreme zooms and the sounds that accompany any sight of worms or maggots having been ejected <laughs> from the human body. <laughs> you know, the the exaggerated sounds like you find in Asian cinema, of, you know. Well, in, in Lucio Fulci movies. Uh, de- oh, definitely, of course. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, who, who knows? Uh, Zhang might have seen a Fulci movie or two by by 1981 i think possibly city of the living dead was out zombie was definitely out so uh yeah you know it's from this taiwanese era where confidence was clearly there overall i mean across several filmmakers so in terms of creating grit and uh and, and this dirty nasty feel I and mean, it was certainly not in shortage for the devil i think it comes to life in a splendid way when li- laying it on thick visually and orally and uh, I, I don't get grossed out about this stuff actually i rarely do with real movies, uh, actually, uh, as I explained earlier. So I, I love these set pieces, these main two set pieces that go on, go on for five minutes a piece, showing the victims uh, just suffering. And there's one great thing that may be the only point where I groan. Uh, I think it's Ku who gets his comeuppance. I mean, what are we spoiling here? Uh, he, his stomach is inflated and it hits the stomach and it flattens immediately and you just wonder what kind of nasty explosion <laughs> happened underneath because you don't see it here he's got his shirt on over it uh that's that's dead on effective uh, in my mind i i uh, i get giddy when, when watching this kind of stuff you know black <laughs> boils filled with pus and letting the actors or do do you know what? Do do you think the main actors got a got human stand-ins at some point, or do you think it's them underneath? Uh, it, it seemed to be the actual performers. Uh, yeah. If it was stand-ins, it was very well done. I yeah. I, I assume it, with films like this and centipede horror, they just the producers are just forthright and said, you know, if we hire you for this film, you're going to have to do this, this, and this. Or, mm-hmm. Are you sure? Are you are you willing to commit to this? And I I think they found people who would. Yeah. May, men and women. You know, yeah. again, Margaret Lee back in Centipede Horror. It was not like Mew QI was doing this in Centipede Horror. No, no. It was Margaret Lee was hardcore in that movie. And uh, bless her. Uh, we, we, we don't really um, see any uh, any recognizable faces in The Devil except for Shen uh, Hing Lie, or uh, I think that's his name. The uh, eunuch from Come Drink With Me plays like the son of the auntie, the good, the good spellcaster. Yeah, that that's the one shock in this film. I mean, Chen Honglie is in it, and he's not the villain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he always plays villains. You would think that that would be a great uh, role for him to play Ku, but uh, I mean, he 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 does look uh, menacing automatically, kind of. You know, you, you would think like, ha, bad guy. I know know that guy. Yeah, yeah not, not 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 the nice guy, but definitely not the bad guy. But uh, that that's the only recognizable face. But uh, that that doesn't take away anything from the film. And without spoiling it, I'm just going to say one thing that uh, viewers. You, you got to be relaxed when watching this movie, not question the logical details. There is this um, ghostly apparition in the movie that gets its explanation. And that explanation, if you really look at it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, if you really want to look at the details. Uh, so be prepared. Just, just relax. <laughs> just watch the movie. Let's go with it. Um, I don't know if, uh, you, if I need to tell you off air what I'm talking about, but essentially like the it doesn't really make sense on a supernatural natural level like that that is the explanation that was well that was well let's see that, that was a good scheme they had going on uh there but uh you know i'm not gonna be vague about it anymore uh end of my notes 
share whatever end notes you have about the devil and would you would you return to it for instance let me ask you that uh, well, this is the first time I'd seen it in probably 20 years. Um, I didn't review it for my book because it was available on domestic video, and uh, I tended to avoid those films, except if, unless they say they had Jackie Chan in them, and it absolutely had to be included, because I wanted to encourage people to go out to video stores and seek out unknown stuff. So, And I'd only seen the Video City version, so seeing it in scope definitely helped. Um, I, it does get a little stodgy. Uh, you, you have to be prepared for some you know, high-cranked melodrama that has a dubbing that'll put your teeth on edge at times but uh boy if you're looking for visceral horror it absolutely and if you liked black magic and black magic 2 then uh, this is definitely in the same vein so and if you haven't experienced those films before one advantage with this one is uh, as you said i think it is a little more graphic than the two black magic films so if you can make it through this you'll you'll be able to sit through black magic one and two you can make it through this i got some tips for you (laughs) (laughs) and centipede horror probably yes absolutely uh, yeah, alrighty, that is the main uh, portion of the show covered, but as always, we have two more choices from our uh, Taiwanese uh, Taiwanese pile of, um, Taiwanese movie pile that we've uh, picked uh, to discuss uh, a little bit with you, so after the break, there it is last Taiwanese movies watched for us, so let's see what happens there. Okay, welcome back for the last portion of the show. It is Lost Taiwanese Movies Watched, where we uh, get a chance to pick uh, randomly in our piles, and that uh, that makes it kind of fun that uh, we don't need to uh, connect it to a theme in the show. Uh, but uh, maybe we uh, maybe we op- choose to do it, or maybe uh, we unknowingly connect our random picks to a theme in the show. But regardless, I'll let you go first, John. What what is? Um, did, did you pick any Black Magic movie or WIP movie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. I went back to the old old school pile and pulled out a Dick Randall special. It's a Taiwan South Korean co production called Jackie and Bruce to the Rescue. Ooh. Starring Jackie and Bruce, who? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, the credits are very helpful in that regard. There's actually a credit on screen that says uh, Bruce is played by Tong Lung. And it reminds us that Tong Lung was the Korean fighter brought in to finish Game of Death after Bruce Lee died. Yes. And we also have someone named Jackie Chang, <laughs> who at, at no point, this guy is called a bunch of names. No one ever calls him Jackie that I remember. But he is obviously the, the early Jackie Chan from uh, Drunken Master and Snake in the Eagle's Shadow. He's doing all that shtick. Uh, so I guess Dick Randall had made a lot of money with clones of Bruce Lee, so he figured, hey, let's do Bruce and Jackie imitators. I could cover both both markets and maybe sell this thing wider. But uh, was th- Dick Randall involved in Challenge of the Tiger as well? I think yes, I he was. That's mm-hmm. one of his gems. I, and, yeah, <laughs> he's he's behind some of these strangest and goofiest kung fu films from the early '80s. Um, this one gets off to an amazing start. Uh, I don't remember the name of the production company, but when their logo comes up, it's accompanied from by, with music from Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> which you, anybody will recognize. So, uh, Even I would recognize that. Good, good, good. Yeah, it's a great start. Um, is it, is it, the, is it the, the, that uh, cue? Is it that cue that we all know? Or is it uh, uh, some other cue from John Williams' score? 
Uh, it's basically about the last uh, 20 or 30 seconds of the end titles. Right. <laughs> I have to apologize because I, I was sitting there last night watching this taking notes and notes and notes until I realized that it was a futile task because this film makes no, no sense at all. <laughs> so, I mean, so the notes were all, why? Question mark, why? Yes. Question mark. Why is this person called eight different names? <laughs> and the answer is that the, either the original film made no sense or the guy is doing the dubbing, which is really terrible on this movie, uh, just didn't care. <laughs> Basically, the plot involves some documents that two schools are fighting over, but instead of the usual martial arts schools, one of them is the YMCA. <laughs> I didn't even know taught martial arts. but And th- this is really confusing because the people who are allegedly from the YMCA are wearing shirts that say YMGA. <laughs> now, I, I, the dubbers obviously looked at that and said, hey, YMCA, let's go that route. Um, so anyway, we got people from the YMCA killing people from this other school, and um, Bruce's master gets murdered. So we get a little uh, Fists of Fury Chinese connection, uh, uh, connection there. Mm. Um, but basically, the main map, the main story is about uh, the, these people are fighting over this document, um, and which we Exciting later find Exciting stuff. Yeah, yeah which we, li- we later find out is a treasure map and a list of all the YMCA members because I guess it's top secret if you belong to the YMCA. <laughs> uh, after a while, I just stopped taking notes and just went with the fights, uh, which actually are pretty good. I have to say, they, I, I couldn't figure out the name of the actor doing the Jackie Chan uh, imitation here, but he's pretty good. I mean, he studied uh, Chan's early shtick from uh, films like Young Master and uh, the two seasonal films I mentioned already. And he does the kung fu uh, comedy pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tong Lung eventually gets to bust out the yellow tracksuit, which I think is a requisite of all Bruce uh, imitators. Mm. Um, and he gets to fight Jackie in a casino scene, uh, which has some pretty good choreography. And they, they eventually do join forces, of course, and Jackie gets to do some drunken boxing. With this being a Dick Rando production, we also get some nudity, so we get a sort of consensual shower sex scene. It's kind of hard to tell whether it's consensual <laughs> or not. And uh, there's also some nasty fingernail torture inflicted on Jackie at one point. Ooh. And in the, I guess in the high-tech vein of James Bond, we get a lamp that emits poison gas when it is turned on. Um and also, like as with the magical trees in Commando Fury, uh, we had the main villain who just shows up partway through the film. And if there's any explanation of what this guy is or what his connection to the main story is, other than being boss number one, I have no idea. He shows up and he can magically appear and disappear during the climax. Huh. I guess he's attained the top kung fu power that allows you to just disappear and reappear behind people. But anyway... Um, this was directed by Wu Chia Chun, who also helmed uh, Bruce Lee against Superman with Bruce Lai, and one I haven't I see seen. Oh, yeah. uh, you, you know what I remember from Bruce Lee against Superman? Uh, a lot of padding in the form of driving. Yeah. Driving, 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 driving. <laughs> they also adopt superhero costumes at one point. In that yes. Show. Yes. Out of the three fantastic Superman. Um, Kick ass, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> and it also, uh, Wu Chia Chun also directed Bruce against Snake in the Eagle's Shadow, which... <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of a title, which I have not seen that movie. He eventually shifted gears, and if the Hong Kong movie database is any indication, uh, his last film was the cat- Category 3 movie Spiritual Love with Emily Chu. Uh, this film also has uh, uh, Tattooer Ma, who you may remember from mm. his IFD films, Ma Sa. He's in here playing Bruce's brother, who is a useless alcoholic gambler. And the English dubbers obviously looked at his, na- his name Ma Sa and just said, hey, let's call him Masher. <laughs> so, sort of creative but you know they, they so, were thinking a little bit 
So naturally, he turns out to be a spineless traitor, turns against everyone, and um, it wouldn't be an old school kung fu film without those one of those ridiculous, nonsensical freeze frame endings. So we got that too. Uh, so basically, uh, would I recommend this? Uh, well, the fights are pretty good. Uh, the story is complete nonsense, and the dubbing is horrible. So I guess it's not that different from <laughs> these old school films if you have to watch the English version. Um, so I mean, this does have its pleasures, but it's a good idea to just if the film seems to be bogging down to you, it, it definitely is, and just start fast forwarding until you get to some action. C- certainly, a few quotable elements um, would make it a recommendation in my mind. Uh, you know, a few quotable crazy elements and uh, maybe maybe only two, three and uh, spread out way too, you know, <laughs> spread out uh, way too much. But, uh, you know, I'd give it a go on the title alone. It's a bit of a novelty to see a Jackie Chan imitator. I mean, there's lots of Bruce uh, imitation films, but a Jackie one, uh, that's pretty unique. So can't think of many examples. So. Oh, master with cracked fingers, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, the Jackie imitator they got for that. But, yeah, uh, and he's wearing a hood. <laughs> or a yes. blindfold, blindfold, that's right. So yeah, I mean, you, you get this guy just being Jackie. So, I mean, that, that's worth a view, I guess. Wow. Yep, that uh, sounds way more fun than my, than my pick. Yeah. Random pick, which is how I like to do this. It's a movie called Midnight Revenge from 1994, uh, directed by Chang Cho-Chi. Uh, it's, a, it's a arty kind of uh, cop drama. Uh, starring Jack Cow. Uh, it uh, had a splendid, splendid cinema run in Hong Kong, and that is uh, me being sarcastic. It played for one day <laughs> in Hong Kong, <laughs> and uh, there was no uh, info on uh, take uh, on Hong Kong movie database, but uh, surely not a whole lot. Uh, it was written and directed by Chang Chiu Chi, and uh, looking at his credits, or oh, if this is indeed, uh, uh, it is indeed a male director. A few few movies that none of which I recognize but he did a movie in 2011 called 10 plus 10 so still an active director uh, anyway he decides to take you know we the audience on a sparse slow even mundane vague journey that by design should have had an understated payoff because it's a kind of it's a it's a mystery uh, here but uh about essentially why Jack Cow, the cop, is acting the way he does, and there's a few criminal cases going on at the same time. So th- there is a mystery as structure here, and it's it's somewhat effective here and there, but it and it has something, but nearly not enough commanding time. And Jack Cow, you're gonna mention, uh, I'm absolutely terrified by Jack Cow. <laughs> it's one of the few actual. You know, he plays a lot of bad guys. It's one of the few where it, you know, it actually leaps off the screen. Uh, he is scary. He's one of the, you know, him and let's Wang Jiang Li, if you will. So, I mean, he seems perfect for bad lieutenant cop on the edge roles. Is that what he has here? Or? Pre- yeah, it's it's on on that yeah on, on that note, but not as um, you know as graphic. You know what I mean? The, but but he it is that though. It, it's not the, he's not walking around naked. <laughs> but uh, you know he's uh, he's never he never misses a beat Jack Cowan in movies you know uh, when you know when he doesn't seem like he was at that time anyway got tired of uh, projecting that dangerous aura because he had that presence in him you know he's fantastic in full alert had a great acting part in the heat of summer in in the heat of summer the uh, Teddy Chen movie uh, he's in Requital he's in Island of Fire I mean it was a time when he's in my mainstay so 
Uh, so I, I really like him. And he plays a cop that essentially carries with him something, a burden. And he goes off on his own while cases of a pyromaniac and um, a cop killing goes on. Uh, a cop killing in the line of duty. He, he was there, but um, you don't really know what happened there when that cop uh, got killed. And you, you realize it's a very arty film because it features numerous long takes of just the camera lingering on, on cow. You know, it dollies a little bit back and forth and it has moody music. Uh, m- music very reminiscent of um, of uh, Stray Dog, the, the Mamoru Shi film. Very uh, flamenco, uh, moody flamenco type of music or, or South American music, if you will. Uh, but um, this... Uh, you know, cow can be expressive though. If he, um, even when you know being very you know stoic and hard and even mean looking, it shows here that he can be expressive, but he is relied on too much because he can't convey this vague material all by himself. And uh, it, it, the movie eventually, you know, as it goes goes on, you realize it relies too much on the non-verbal, and uh, you you start to feel like there's probably not going to be a good payoff here. Uh, no, no, aha moment um but but it, for, for a while it has you know the, the structure is alluring you know there's mysteries mysterious flashbacks to a kid having experienced tragedy and uh, even that seems to connect to the case of the pyromaniac in the city here if it's uh, a flashback to that event or possibly to a childhood memory of of someone maybe cow and uh, so, so it's mildly involving but and, and and it's not at all annoying uh to follow it for for Two thirds, maybe, uh, but uh, the ultimate payoff is played by the fact that there's few, if any, pieces added to the puzzle of Jack Cow's character. You know, something happens, uh, happens, uh, things conclude, but you don't really know the intricate details of it. So it's a mystery all up until the end credits, where I essentially didn't find out anything, and I wanted to find out something. Uh, interesting exercise. Category 3 for unexplained reasons. Uh, there's sexuality briefly, but there's no nudity, and even the sexuality is kind of vague. So, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the distributor requested Category 3 because they felt the film wasn't commercial and thought, well, maybe we can get the sex crowd in here at least? Uh, I would buy that theory because I have no other. Uh, because, uh, you know, c- Category 2 or 2B would have been fine here because it's not um, an erotic movie at all i mean it has um yeah it, it's it's exactly that it's only hints hints at uh and there's no actual sex scene i think at most jack cow reaches inside a, a girl's uh, shirt and uh but but it doesn't lead to a rape scene or anything it just concludes kind of quickly hmm. who knows uh not the movie I, I i i got it somehow i don't remember when or where but uh not a movie that i you know therefore consciously looked up and uh, knew it had a rep uh, but it had Jack Cow. It was a Taiwanese movie. I was willing to try it out, and it was, uh, you know, it was taller. It was taller. I I could tolerate it for a surprising, uh, a surprising amount of uh, the fairly short running time. But uh, nah, no payoff, and it should have had. Well, I mean, good for you for just wandering into uncharted waters. I mean, somebody has to check these films out. Yeah, especially our territory, which you know these uh, long static shots of um, barely no dialogue. Uh, you know, I would have been f- normally I'm frustrated as hell, but yeah, I felt like hmm, there kind of is something here. The music is great, and uh, Jack Cow I do like, and he's getting you know he's getting a lead role. You know, fancy that? That's not common. 
I mean, we're looking at a supporting actor at best, and the Teddy Chen movie I talked about in in the Heat of Summer is one of his is his second lead essentially in that movie. It's like a uh, uh, not a corrupt cop, uh, you know, a disgruntled cop that goes off on his own. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much his. I remember that being one of his very very best roles, uh, Jack Cow, and uh, not and scary throughout as well, you know, because you. It's kind of funny that, you know, he looks automatically like he's going to play a bad guy, but he's talented enough that when given the material, you, you, you can get into a journey of his that might start good and end up, you know, uh, bad, if you know what I mean. It might end up a bad character by the end. And, and uh, In the Heat of Summer is definitely recommended. Full Alert is um, one of the Taiwanese gangsters that I believe Francis um, uh, hooks up with, and he's um, pretty, you know, not a huge role or a large like meaty role, but he is fantastic as saw most people in that movie. Hmm. Do you remember Jack Cal from anything in particular or you just have him as a you, you remember him in general as a scary scary Well guy. yeah, full alert definitely and Asian connection. I, I believe he I think he was the primary villain in Asian connection. I yes, guess. that's right. It was set in Taiwan as well, so um Yeah, and if you haven't seen that, that's a really good uh police procedural where Hong Kong and Taiwan cooperate. Yeah, we we did that for a podcast on fire, and it was really good because it's uh, it's a sync sound movie that uses uh, the languages correctly too. Because it starts in Hong Kong, Danny Lee and Michael Chow goes to Taiwan, and then they have to speak Mandarin. And they neither of them were dubbed, um, and uh, they even make a point in Asian Connection that Danny Lee's Mandarin isn't at all times sharp. You know, it has to be corrected, and uh, so, so I thought it was unusually well produced, and it's a pretty solid uh, thriller action kind of thing there. I think people have probably also seen him in uh, What Price Survival. That's been pretty widely seen as yes, well. Yes, as well, yes. Uh, so I uh, recommend seeking out some Jack Cow movies, not this one. Not that you really can seek it out. I, I don't think it's officially available anymore. Universe had the um, Hong Kong rights, I believe, based on the cover. I remember the uh, Universe stripes, but uh, never any DVD, um, possibly LaserDisc or VCD or VHS. Um, this was also dubbed in uh, Cantonese, but uh, not that it's really, really distorted anything because there's not a whole lot of dialogue either. Next time around, we we do maybe we 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 have the possibility here of, of uh, getting um to to the next show a copy of which with flying head, which is from the director of The Devil, and it's a subtitled copy, which is not uh, very common. So I'm hoping to get that uh, in time for the next show, which is uh, in four, six weeks, what have you. What we will do if we do get it is pair it up with Calamity of Snakes. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, because yeah, horror, a horror connection, you know. That's all. I always, I, I want to cover two movies if there's not a whole lot of material to um, for one movie. You know, again, director Shang Renjie is not known at all. We couldn't find anything on it. So, which we're flying here com- uh, combined with... Uh, animal cruelty taken up to extreme levels and calamity of snakes and uh, it's not pretty uh, and that will give us an opportunity therefore to do a bonus episode on the um, the uh, re-edit uh, of the calamity of snakes called serpent warriors mm-hmm. with uh, Eartha Kitt in a free foreseen role uh, that combines new footage uh, a new storyline combined with footage from the Taiwanese version so it's not a re-edit of the Taiwanese version it's a completely new storyline and uh, cut the pace production if you will 
Yeah, I've seen that, but I haven't seen the original Calamity of Snakes, so <laughs> be educational, I guess. Uh, yeah, there'll be a lot of more snake killings and mon- mongoose. Or moon- is it mongoose or mongoose? So regard- uh, regardless, mon- it's... Mongoose. Yeah, that, oh, that was a nasty <laughs> sequence, but... Um... Uh, that'll be that'll be exciting but in case we don't get all the materials we need for that episode we have been talking about doing a chu yan ping commando double bill golden <laughs> queen's commando and pink force commando double bill because that will give us a that will give us a chance to talk of all the girls in that movie bridget lynn salier uh elsa is, young elsa young indeed uh yeah. in uh, looking uh, and movies that are like complete uh mind fucks in a way because they are set in one era you think but then characters look like they're from 30 40 years later and it's a mashup of movie love uh it's a mashup of stolen music oh yeah uh tangerine dream perhaps not but ennio morricone uh, uh his his music was well loved and therefore put to use in this movie because chu ping is a movie fan and it will give us give us a chance to finally i guess give a give a take on if this is at all a valid uh, way of displaying your movie love uh, by stealing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not stealing, it's homage. <laughs> exactly. If this makes him an auteur or not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's entertaining, it's homage. Yeah. Absolutely. So Golden Queen's Commando and Pink Force Commando will be covered regardless uh, if, uh, if it's next episode or the next episode or the episode after. And uh, so that, that'll be fun. So... Um, that's it uh, for this one and uh, therefore brief contact information again this has been Taiwan War on the Podcast on Fire network website podcastonfire.com email for feedback podcastonfire at googlemail.com bonus episodes are available on the website as well as on the old forum but I will take those old um, extra extra podcasts and we have you and bring them to the website soon enough so uh, if you had discussion with us on the forum we are now doing that on Facebook like our page facebook.com forward slash POF network follow the link on that page to the discussion group uh, to join the majority of discussion going on there or type in podcast on fire network in the Facebook search bar and you'll find us there and follow us on Twitter twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire my written reviews of uh, IFT and Filmark stuff and Taiwanese stuff, sogoodreviews.com and same content video review at sleazykvideo.com. And follow me and my nonsense on twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews. Subscribe to Taiwan R on iTunes. Uh, this show has its own feed by now. And if you like us, please leave a rating and a comment. We would very much appreciate that. And are very, very thankful for for the for the feedback the selected feedback that has trickled in and and selected is not a bad thing because we are dealing with kind of niche material though hmm. so it's not there, there's not a jackie chan-esque fan base out there waiting for us you know in in number in those numbers so uh so we're very thankful for for the feedback we've gotten and that's uh, very encouraging and uh, stream us on stitcher as well Go to stitcher.com or to find our show page or rather follow the link in the show post. But you can also download the application to your iPhone or iPad or your Android, a free, free application. And once you're in Stitcher, you can type in Podcast of Fire Network and that will get you all the shows and you can add them each individually in your favorites list. And check out Hazel's work on the Taiwan Black Movies identifying them and writing about them and various IFD and Philmark endeavors on Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles. And you'll find the link to the Taiwan Black Movies posts in the show post of this episode on podcastonfire.com. And uh, your plugs again, John? 
I'm on Blogspot uh, by John Charles. That's all one word. Uh, Twitter, J-C-G-U-E-L-P-H. Uh, my Hong Kong digital site is still around. Uh, hasn't been updated since 2006, but there's still lots to read there. Sixth anniversary of not being updated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, still with Video Watchdog in my 20th year, and we just uh, wrapped up 171. So, And I'm also on the, the Demolition Man podcast occasionally. Right on. Now let's go out and uh, find some find some maggots and put them in our mouths and vomit them up and be as cool as the people in the movie <laughs> that we watched. <laughs> because we're impressionable viewers, <laughs> despite being old viewers. We are impressionable. <laughs> so let's play the devil. <laughs> uh, indeed. All righty. This has been Kennedy and uh, for this Taiwan or now noir and with me was uh, noir was always like <laughs> like, like I'm disgusted <laughs> Taiwan noir <laughs> but it applies to this episode but uh, uh, with me was John Charles to so say bye buddy uh, thanks Ken give us a case come on no way. <laughs> Yeah, you can't. 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 Yeah, you can't.